What's up, Football MD fam? We are back. Thank you all for joining us here on our eighth episode, which is also our first Wednesday episode. That's right, guys. We were not slacking this week. We have just made the decision to switch to Wednesdays, which will now allow us to recap games from the previous weeks, break them down, and get you ready for the week ahead once the regular season starts. So now you can look forward to getting your midweek dose of the Football MD podcast, and we have an episode that I am extremely excited about today. But before we get into the episode today, guys, I want to throw out a quick reminder about our 2018 Fantasy Cheat Sheet that you can find on our website. It is draft season, guys. Drafts are quickly approaching, and you got to be prepared. you got to show up ready. You don't want to be the guy who doesn't have the necessary paperwork to go off of or at least some kind of tool to know what you're looking for, when you're going to be looking for the guys, and how to find value. So remember to check out our fantasy cheat sheet at footballmdpodcast.com. Yeah, guys, definitely go check that out. I'm actually in the middle of writing an article right now that I'm calling the top 10 draft mistakes of the fantasy football season. And number one is showing up to your draft unprepared. Nowadays, there's no excuse for it. It's so easy. You don't have to do any of the work. You have people like us that put these cheat sheets together for you. We do that for a reason. So make sure you head over to footballmdpodcast.com, print that out, download it, whatever works best for you, and go into your drafts ready to win. So on today's episode, guys, we'll bring you Mike and I's favorite value picks or deep dive, however way you want to look at it. Not all of them are deep dive guys, but just good value picks um, throughout the draft, guys that we like, that we think will pan out well for you. These are the guys that pretty much win your league, you know what I'm saying? It's pretty easy to nail the first two rounds. Mike will talk a little bit more about why we kind of don't talk about guys in those first two rounds but more of like the value picks these guys are the ones who win you your league when you get high production from a guy that you don't pick in the first or second round right in the first two rounds I think that the players that you end up with they're more determined by the position that you're drafting at I'm not going to sit here and tell you that taking Alvin Kamara at the seventh pick of the first round or Melvin Gordon at the eighth pick of the first round are good values. They're first round type players. That's where they deserve to be going. Same thing in the second round. I don't think guys like Michael Thomas and Christian McCaffrey and Devonta Freeman, again, those are second round players. They deserve to be going in the second round. It's not till the third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds and so on where players begin to slip because they're either being undervalued or some players get drafted a little too early because they're being overvalued. Those are the real picks where we're able to maximize value. And again, let's not forget in your drafts, your main goal should be to maximize value and avoid risk with every pick. And before we get into these value players for you guys, we just want to bring up the hot topic of the week, obviously, just kind of broke the other day, is Adrian Peterson to the Redskins. We're kind of both torn on this because, you know... I'm locking him in as a running back one. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean... If if that's what you want to do that, but realistically, I'm not too sure they're going to just hand him the reins, somebody who just walked in the door. You still have Rob Kelly and P. Ryan there who, you know, they haven't been great, but they know the system. They've been with the team for a while, so I think it would be hard to just excommunicate those guys. And also, you mentioned earlier while we were talking about it, just he, he hasn't been that great, Adrian Peterson as of late in his career. He had a good stretch with the Cardinals, but besides that stretch, he really hasn't been very productive. Right. Like Dan said, you actually have to go back to 2015 to find his last truly productive season. However, during that season, he rushed for over 1,400 yards and 11 touchdowns. That was while he was still with the Minnesota Vikings. And before that, 
He topped 1,250 rushing yards seven times throughout his first eight seasons in his career and scored at least 10 touchdowns in those seasons. So it's hard to forget, obviously, about how dominant Adrian Peterson was, future Hall of Famer. The guy was as much of a stud running back in the NFL and for fantasy purposes as you could hope for. But as Dan mentioned, he hasn't been great in recent history. Last year, he averaged 3.4 yards across his 156 attempts. And that was on the heels of a 2016 season where he only played three games, but he posted 1.9 yards per carry across those three games before he missed the rest of the season with a knee injury. So although I'm not willing to completely discount Adrian Peterson yet, at this point in time, I'm not 100% sure where he's going to factor into my rankings. I'm not putting him as a top 24 guy at this time or anything like that just because of the player that we've seen more recently but hopefully we get a little bit of a look at him in the preseason and then we'll be able to get a better idea of where he lands I think Rob Kelly is a talented running back so we'll see how that kind of pans out for the Washington Redskins that being said I did take Rob Kelly in a draft that I had this past weekend and I felt a little uneasy about it now that AP there I was pretty much sold on Kelly being the guy Gruden had came out and said that they weren't going to sign somebody. They went and signed AP. That definitely makes me nervous just because... It's AP. It's, it is, yeah. No matter how like productive or not productive he's been at the in most recently in his career, but he's still going to get opportunities. They didn't bring him in for no reason. When you sign a guy late like this, when you sign a guy like AP, a future Hall of Famer, you know he's going to get touches. You know he's going to get opportunity. You didn't bring him in for no reason. So as comfortable as I was with Kelly, I'm not. So that's really the main f- effect that I think it has is not so much as go ahead and like start focusing on drafting AP so early. Of It's more of like the guys that you thought were going to return some value on the Redskins, now you got to pump the brakes on a little bit because the backfield just got even more crowded. That's all we have on Adrian Peterson. If you guys you know, have any comments, questions, you can always hit us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or at our website. Let us know how you feel about him. Now we'll get into our value players, and Mike will set it off with uh, LaShawn McCoy. Yes, going right outside of the second round, I have LaShawn McCoy as a value. He's currently the fourth pick of the third round and I know that he'll be 30 when the season starts I know that people are pretty down on him but the guy was the wide receiver seven last season and as I mentioned on our running backs episode the Buffalo Bills offense literally runs through LaShawn McCoy he's going to be in line for 300 or more touches this season and even though his stats from the last few seasons have been declining in terms of efficiency we can't forget about what McCoy has done since 2009 He's scored 2,258 PPR fantasy points. That's more than any other NFL player that isn't a quarterback. That offense literally runs through him. He's the only player in the third round that you're going to be able to take that is going to see 300 or more touches this season. For that type of opportunity, for that type of workload, I think he is well worth a third round pick. And I've seen him go even later in the third round. I've drafted him as the last or the second to last pick in the third round. So I think for the price that you're paying, you're going to get a running back that is going to more than have the opportunity to return value. And in fantasy football, opportunity is everything. My first player is also a running back. I'm going to talk about Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, obviously, we know he has the four-game suspension to start the season. That's going to obviously hinder his performance and give Kamara a big workload for the first four weeks. But let's not forget that Ingram has been a consistent staple in the Saints offense for a very long time. He has played all three downs for them, run, catch, he pretty much does it all, and he has been 
very productive. Last year, don't forget, he was the RB6. He had over 200 fantasy points last year, over 1,000 yards rushing, and 12 touchdowns. And right now, because of the suspension, he's coming in at about 4th round, 12th overall. So pretty much just about the 5th round, the start of the 5th round, he'll still be available. To me, that provides excellent value. Yeah, he won't finish as the RB6 because of missing the first 4 weeks. But when he returns, his production level will be that of a top-tier running back. So that is the type of player that is going to win your weeks when you combine him with your top-tier players and you got him in the later rounds. So yeah, you don't want to look, you're not going to want to look at his season totals, but his game-by-game game when he gets back is going to be very impressive. He's going to score probably 15 to 20 fantasy points per game, and that's going to be enough with your studs that you've had since the beginning of the season, the guys that you took earlier in the draft, to really solidify your lineup. Yes, it's a drawback that you have to wait for him. But like I said, as the RB6 last year, to get him in the fourth round, I think he's the 23rd running back off the board. That's excellent value, even if you have to wait on it for a little while. Not to mention, when you begin the season, the first four weeks, a lot of your guys, you know, they're not injured yet. You don't have to deal with too many substitutions or wave or bye weeks. So covering those first four weeks shouldn't be too difficult. Moving on to one of my next favorite values in fantasy drafts. And just a heads up, these next four are quite a bit deeper than the third round. I have Kenny Stills, who's currently being drafted as the first pick of the 11th round. I know Kenny Stills really hasn't had that breakout season that a lot of people have been looking for since he's been in the league. But I think he's actually been extremely underrated with the type of production that he's been putting up since joining the Dolphins three seasons ago. He actually leads the Dolphins with 18 touchdowns during that span, and 15 of those touchdowns came over the last two years. That's seventh amongst all wide receivers in the NFL. You know the Dolphins are going to throw the ball. They're the only team last season to have three wide receivers with 96-plus targets. You know that they're going to be spreading that ball around. You know they're a passing team. Tannehill's coming back. That passing game's only going to be improved. And you have 160 targets from last season vacated with Landry heading over to Cleveland. Obviously, not all of those are going to go to Kenny Stills, but there's a clear path for a much increased opportunity for a player that has been extremely efficient with what he's been getting on the Dolphins offense over the last three seasons. And again, going in the 11th round, he's extremely low risk. You're not passing on any sure thing players, but he provides you a very high reward. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes in the top 30 wide receivers this season. So I will combat Stills with a another wide receiver. Mine's a little bit earlier in the draft. The first wide receiver I'll talk about is Marquise Goodwin. I'm a huge fan of this player. As of right now, he's going around 6'11". To me, he can offer you the same upside as a guy like Tariq Hill. He has the ability to have those big explosive plays. He's a former U.S. sprinter, so he can beat anybody on any given play if you're not too careful. Obviously, there's a big disparity. Tariq Hill's going in the third round, eighth overall. Goodwin, 6'11". So almost the seventh round. So obviously with that large of a disparity, you can clearly see the value is there. Also, the good thing about Goodwin is there's not a set number one guy who is going to be forced to football. Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty much open to whoever he wants to throw. Now, I think the best pass catcher challenging Goodwin right now would be Dante Pettis, the rookie. 
And he's just that. He's a rookie. He's not going to have the camaraderie that Goodwin has already established with Garoppolo that we've seen at the end of the season when Garoppolo took over. So, yeah, we know Garoppolo did like to use the tight ends, but at the same time, he did look good with Goodwin. Obviously, they had the offseason together, and Goodwin is explosive enough and has the skill set to be that type of, it might be a slight boomer bust player, but in the sixth, seventh round, that upside is very, very high and can deliver high value, especially week to week if he's going to be getting those explosive plays. You're talking about if it's a big enough play, you're talking about yard bonuses, touchdowns, you're talking about individual plays that can make a player's week and ultimately change the outcome for your fantasy team week in and week out. My next player, I also have another wide receiver who's going immediately after my last value pick. I have Cameron Meredith, who's currently being drafted as the second pick of the 11th round. Throughout his career, Cameron Meredith has a 70% career catch rate. Let's not forget, guys, this is while playing with Matt Barkley, Brian Hoyer, Jimmy Clausen, Jay Cutler, and David Fales. He now goes over to Drew Brees. Quite a bit of an upgrade, to say the least. And in his 14 games in 2016, the last time that we saw him play healthy, he put up 66 receptions for 888 yards and four touchdowns. I know that's not a massive stat line, but he did show the potential to be a true wide receiver too on a Bears team that went 3-13 that year. He's now on a much improved offense in the New Orleans Saints. And again, he's going in the 11th round. You can do much worse with guys that have way less upside, especially with Mark Ingram missing the first few weeks of the season. You can expect that Drew Brees is going to be passing the ball a little bit more than he normally would, which is only going to provide more opportunities for Cameron Meredith to be a consistent option for your fantasy teams. I'll stick with another wide receiver here, and I'll talk about Robbie Anderson offering you awesome value in the eighth round, fourth overall. Now, obviously not as far back as the two guys Mike just previously talked about in the 11th round. I also think that this is going to offer you a little bit more upside than those picks. In the eighth round, you're going to get good value with Robbie Anderson. He has the size to be a solid red zone target, but he also has the unique speed to get down the field and beat people on any given play. Last year, he had 63 receptions for 941 yards and seven touchdowns. That was obviously tops for his career, and quite frankly, in a pretty below average passing attack. So this year, which obviously with Darnold and Bridgewater looking so good in the the preseason and in practice, they're expecting an improvement in that quarterback position and hopefully in their passing game. So that could just mean better things for Robbie Anderson. And he finished as the wide receiver 16 last year. He finished in the head of guys like Diggs, Juju Smith-Schuster, Golden Tate, Mike Evans, Demarius Thomas, and T.Y. Hilton. All guys who are going to go in the top three rounds. And Anderson finished higher than them last year, mainly because he's got pretty much nobody challenging the targets. Obviously, Anunum was coming back, but that's not going to be hugely detrimental to his production and you're gonna find Anderson four five rounds later than all these players and obviously has the potential just like last year to finish higher than them he finished as a wide receiver 16 and could be even better this year I especially think that Robbie Anderson is a good value pick especially when you subscribe to the same type of strategy that myself and Dan likes to follow of going running back heavy in the early rounds. I think those are the prime rounds in the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th rounds. That's where you really want to find value at the wide receiver position, guys that could way outperform their ADP. And like Dan said, 
Robbie Anderson has the intangibles. He has the skill set to be able to do that on what should be an improved offense going into this season. So I definitely agree with that one. Now, moving on to my fourth value pick, who is actually my favorite value pick in fantasy drafts this season, going at the second pick of the 13th round, we have Colts running back Jordan Wilkins. Wilkins is one of two rookie running backs drafted by the Colts this offseason, along with Naeem Hines. But I think he is the most well-rounded player in the Colts' backfield with a big enough frame to handle a big workload. He's 6'1", 216 pounds. And last season at Ole Miss, Wilkins ranked 7th in yards after contact per attempt among all FBS running backs. He was top 10 in elusive rating and showed that he can be a capable pass catcher with 26 receptions for 241 yards and a touchdown on top of his 1,011 rushing yards and 9 rushing touchdowns. You now have... Projected starter Marlon Mack coming off of shoulder surgery, who is now dealing with a hamstring injury. Wilkins will have the opportunity to claim the starting role behind an improved Indianapolis offensive line with a healthy Andrew Luck. We all know how valuable starting running backs are for fantasy purposes, so whether you believe in the talent or not, which I do, like I said before, Wilkins is going in the 13th round. He is well worth a late round draft pick for someone that could claim a backfield on what I'm projecting to be a high-powered offense this season. A running back that I think is going to offer you super good value in the fifth round, sixth overall, is Kerryon Johnson. He's currently going right there in the middle of the fifth round. And I just think although he is rising in drafts and people are starting to catch on to not just his skill set, but the fact that the Lions have been looking for a premier back for quite some time. Obviously, they have a very long streak of not having a 100-yard rusher. So they're trying to break that and get a run game going and really take some stress off of Matt Stafford and having him throw to win games all the time. To me, he just is the most equipped back there to do so. Obviously, they have LeGarrette Blunt. I just think LeGarrette Blunt is a one and two down back and not really a three down workhorse back. He's not going to be able to catch out of the backfield for you. Kerryon Johnson is going to be able to take first and second down work as well as block and catch on third down. So he'll be able to stay on the field all three downs. He's explosive in the open field. He's versatile. He's thrown passes. He's caught passes for touchdowns in college. So you can use him. You can put him in a wildcat. You can do a lot of different things with him. You can move him out wide and put him as a wide receiver in the slot. You can move him as a blocker. He really is a very versatile, productive back. And that's why, for me, in the fifth round, you're going to get a guy who's going to push Maybe not into that top tier, but arguably in that like second tier where Devonta Freeman sits, Christian McCaffrey, some of these guys who are, you know, good, desirable backs, like a Jarek McKinnon or something like that. And yet these guys are going in the second and third round, and Kerryon Johnson is going to be around for you in the fifth round. Now, obviously, that's not going to be late in the tenth round, this guy, but. In the fifth round, you're going to be getting RB2 value, possibly to be in your flex position, if not on your bench as a rotational guy that you use week to week. So a significant contributor pretty much to your fantasy team is my point, and that can make or break your team. And I know we said before the show that we weren't going to really touch on each other's picks here, but 
my co-host has some awesome picks going on right now, so how am I not going to piggyback off that thunder? I love Carryon Johnson. The Lions moved up in the second round to grab him. They spent their first round pick on improving that offensive line. They spent tons of free agent capital improving that offensive line. So he's walking into a prime situation for a rookie running back, and I think he's the best running back that the Lions have had since... Who was their last run? Barry Sanders? <laughs> Who's been better than Carryon Johnson? I'm not saying that Carryon Johnson is Barry Sanders, but who's been their last running back that you could project for a big workload that he could handle at a true three-down back? I mean, I would have probably liked to stay away from the Barry Sanders comparison, <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. They really haven't had a good running back in a very, very long time, so you're absolutely right about that, and I, that's why exactly why he makes my list. So there you go. You heard it from Dan Ronan, Carryon Johnson, the next Barry Sanders. What the hell is up with this? Why do you do this to me every week? Why do you do this to me every week? I'm serious, dude. Anyway. Last week with the Saints. This week, I didn't say this. I didn't say, that was you who compared him to Barry Sanders. How did I get blamed for this? I, I don't know. I remember things the way I remember them, and I just, <laughs> you know, I just go along with it. Anyway, my final value pick for 2018 fantasy drafts is Jameis Winston. I know that Winston is going to miss the start of the season due to his suspension, but people are forgetting how good Winston was for the stretch while he was healthy last season. Now let's not forget during week six, he suffered that shoulder injury. He missed most of that game. He re-injured it in week seven. He played through weeks eight and nine injured while finally sitting out to fully heal weeks 10 to 12. Looking back at his stats from last season, if we remove his partial performances and look at the numbers from his 10 fully healthy games, he threw for 3,186 yards, 19 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions. If you project that to a full 16-game season, that's 5,098 yards, that's the most in the league last season, 30 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. That would have tied Tom Brady for points last season. And we know that the Bucks are the type of team that are going to throw the football. They finished fourth in passing yards last year, despite missing Winston for a majority of the season or playing while he was injured. For the final five games of the season, Jameis Winston played at a 5,000-yard pace and posted career bests in completions, which was 63.8%, yards per attempt, 7.9%, and interceptions, 2.5%. He's now entering his fourth year. He's only 24 years old. We're expecting improvement from Chris Godwin, who was drafted in the third round last season, and O.J. Howard, who was drafted in their first round. They have Cameron Brait, who's had 14 touchdowns over the past two seasons. And despite his three-game suspension at the beginning of the season, I think that he will be a steal in drafts. If you're the type of player that likes to wait on the quarterback position, you can pair him up with someone consistent, like uh, Matt Ryan, let's say, someone that's going to hold you over until Jameis Winston comes back. And in most of the drafts that I've done, Jameis Winston has gone completely undrafted altogether. So he's someone to keep your eye on while he's on the waiver wire. I think when he comes back, the Buccaneers schedule from that point on looks much more promising. And I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes as a top 10 running back. It would be amazing if he finishes a top 10 running back. It would be amazing. What I meant to say was I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes as a top 10 quarterback during that time. We've seen him do it in spurts throughout his career. Like I said, he's now entering his fourth season. He's only 24 years old. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year that he's finally able to put it all together. The last guy or guys that I will talk about, because it's kind of a duo, are together Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. The reason why I think both of these guys can offer you value, you know, obviously Brandon Cook's coming in. He's being drafted in the fifth round, third overall, pretty early. Cooper Cup is being drafted in the 8th round, 7th overall, and Robert Woods is being drafted 
ninth round, third overall. I really do think that last year we saw the same story that we're seeing with Brandon Cooks. A much more talented, physical specimen of a wide receiver coming in, getting a lot of hype for the Rams with a new quarterback. Obviously, they think, just like last year, Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks is going to be the number one guy there. He's going to demand a lot of the targets. He's going to be the playmaker. I think everybody should pump the brakes a little bit because the number one thing about the Rams offense is that it's going to run through Todd Gurley. Then secondly, you have two very good wide receivers who, yes, they might not have eye-popping abilities, but they are consistent, good, chain-moving, grinding, hard-working, tough-nosed type of wide receivers. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Robert Woods, 56 catches, 781 yards, and five touchdowns last year. And to highlight, he had a 94-yard touchdown, so he's explosive enough where he can have those home run plays. Cooper Cup, 869 yards and five touchdowns. Also very good, very productive. And Cooper Cup, who's coming off the board as the wide receiver 40 this year, was the wide receiver 25 last year. So there you go, outperforming your your ADP, giving you value. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, if you just wait on guys like that, rather than going with Cooks, who we're very unsure of. This is going to be his first time in this offense. And although he's a great talent, he just is pretty expensive at that fifth-round pick as opposed to Woods or Cooper Cup, who were stables with that offense last year and will fight to stick around and garner targets and chew into Cook's fifth-round value. So, in my opinion, waiting on the guys like Woods and Cooper Cup could offer you a lot of value. Now, this could also be a repetitive theme. Not all the time. Obviously, some teams, there is the guy, the apparent guy. Antonio Brown is going to be Antonio Brown no matter what. Yes, Juju Smith offers you some nice value, but he is not going to really cut into Antonio Brown's workload or take over Antonio Brown's workload. Guys that we're talking about here, like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, if they are on a hot streak, they can phase out Cooks. They have no real genuine loyalty for committed to him because of longevity of production like Antonio Brown has. If you pay attention to that trend in situations where there's not a set number one guy at a position on a given team, it might be better to go on with the later cheaper option because he could provide value. And if he's productive, he could turn into and develop and get that first starting spot. And that's where if you get a guy like that, That'll make a big difference for your team. And that's all we have for our 2018 draft values. I'm hoping that we were able to give you guys some potential steals in the mid to late rounds as well as some later round dart throws that can help win you guys your league this year. Now, before we end our episode, we're going to get back to covering some NFL divisions. Today, we have the AFC South. To kick things off, we'll start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They won the division last year. And obviously, we have them... Pretty much dominating the division again. They're the one team that is pretty much above the rest. I think the other teams are all pretty equal and they'll split for the most part. But I see the Jags sweeping probably two of the teams from the division and splitting with only one. That'll probably be the Texans. The Jags defense is just too good for the majority of the division. Right now, just quickly looking in front of me at their schedule, I think they are about... A 12-4 and record. Definitely at least a 10-win team. 
definitely a playoff team. Their schedule starts back-to-back the first two weeks a little tough with the Giants and the Patriots. I think those will be competitive games. I do think they'll beat the Giants, lose to the Patriots. The next stretch of games that would worry me is the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Texans, followed by the Eagles. So that four-game stretch is going to be pretty difficult for them. But, you know, if they steal two of those games, come out two and two in the, out of that four weeks, that'll go a long way to uh, solidifying their season. And from there on out, I really don't see much trouble on their schedule either. So schedule relatively light, not too difficult. And if they can get off to a hot start, the end should be a little bit easier so they'll be able to coast through the season. Right, and I also think that offense, which was the main knock against them last year, is going to be slightly improved this season. They still have Marquise Lee, who I know didn't wow people last year, but he was a consistent wide receiver. They're going to have wide receivers Dede Westbrook and Keelan Cole going into their second seasons on that team. And they drafted rookie DJ Shark, who I think is a very talented pass catcher as well. Also in free agency, they signed wide receiver Dante Moncrief, who... We're really not sure which version of Moncrief we're going to be getting. Over the last two seasons, he missed 12 games with shoulder and ankle injuries and caught just 26 passes last season. Obviously, that's not what you want to see. But in 2015, he recorded 64 receptions, 733 yards, and 6 touchdowns. He is still 6'2", 212 pounds, has 4'4 speed, and Moncrief could be a deep threat for the Jaguars, which could help make defenses respect the passing game a little bit more. I think he has a similar skill set to Allen Robinson. I'm not trying to compare the talent of those two players, but he is good at going up and getting those 50-50 balls and making plays downfield, an area where Marquise Lee, their number one wide receiver, has just 12 catches over the last four seasons. He has just 12 catches of 30 yards or more. So definitely an area where they have been lacking. And my favorite offseason signing for this team was guard Andrew Norwell. He was a first-team All-Pro last year, and and according to Pro Football Focus, he was the only offensive lineman who did not allow a quarterback sack or hit in 2017. The guy is a stud. He was the top offensive lineman available this offseason. I think they addressed a huge need on that offense, the interior of their line, which is only going to benefit their workhorse running back, Leonard Fournette. Yeah, no doubt. The Jags, obviously, like I said, they have a lot going for them. You touched on it. I would have a little bit more pause about their offense I wouldn't necessarily say they got better Allen Robinson uh, they don't have a wide receiver as good as him on the team in my opinion definitely not so I don't think you can say they definitely improved and the other thing about that is what I really honestly believe is hindering them is Blake Bortles I am not a huge Blake Bortles, Bortles hater but I'm definitely not his biggest fan either I think you know you could definitely look at upgrading that position and it could really elevate that team just saying, Teddy Bridgewater supposedly is on the market. That would be an awesome th- signing for them. Not that that's real or that that would happen. I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying I think that would be a great fit, give them a great opportunity for both sides and really improve that position. Because if you did improve that position, they wouldn't be able to stack the box against Fournette. The offense would obviously still run through Leonard Fournette, but a better quarterback and a, one who could – be a move quarterback that you get out of the pocket like Teddy Bridgewater would make it difficult on defenses to just stack the box on Leonard Fournette. So it would give him more running lanes, more open spaces. It would just be better for the team as a whole. And obviously if the offense improved, the defense wouldn't have to carry it. 
the defense is good enough to carry it, but they wouldn't have to do it as much. Agreed. Now moving on to our second team in the AFC South, we have the Houston Texans. Last season, we saw a night and day difference between the Texans with and without Deshaun Watson at quarterback, which I think really puts them in an interesting spot going into 2018. I know some people are expecting them to win that division with a full season, with hopefully a full season of Deshaun Watson. And I'm not ready to lock them in as that just yet, but I don't want to ignore the talent that they have on that team, mainly free agent signings, safety Tyron Matthew and cornerback Aaron Colvin. I think that those two additions should help improve that secondary that was number one in the league in 2016, but dropped down to 24th last season. Also, the huge knock against the Texans was their 32nd ranked offensive line by Pro Football Focus last season. They did sign guard Senio Kelamede, who was part of the Saints line that led the NFL in yards per rush and yards per attempt. And they signed Zach Fulton from the Chiefs, who Pro Football Focus ranked 14th in the NFL last season. So although I'm not projecting their offensive line to be one of the tops in the league or even top half in the league, I do think they improved their biggest weakness this offseason. And of course, we can't forget about the offensive weapons that they have. DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best wide receivers in the league. They have a capable running back in Lamar Miller. I think the Houston Texans are in line for a nice season in 2018. Yeah, I'm definitely not as high on the Houston Texans as you are. I love their defense. I think their defense is great. I think they have an amazing front seven. Like you said, they bring in Colvin and Tyrone Mathieu. So now they improve their defensive backfield. But realistically, when I look at their schedule, I honestly see them being more of like an 8-8 eight and eight team. And what worries me is they close out last two weeks against the Jags and against the Eagles. Ooh. So if they are in a tight race in that division coming down the stretch, that's going to be two tough games to win at the end of the season. And if you come away with two losses, obviously that'll stretch the playoff on front away from you. And leave an opening for a team like the Titans or the Colts who are kind of being counted out in that division. Not that you're definitely going to get two playoff teams from that division, but I think it's possible. The division is definitely very competitive, but the problem is when I look at the Texans and how they stack up, they start off at just as bad as they finish up. I mentioned the Eagles and the Jags. They start off with the Cowboys and the Patriots back-to-back. So those are going to be two tough games right off the bat as well. Not that they're definitely going to lose to the Cowboys or, or the Patriots because they did beat the Patriots last year. But I just don't see it going the same way. That's going to be tough to, in my opinion, start your season 0-2 and, and then end your season with probably two losses. So that right there puts you in a four-game deficit in the beginning and in the end, two crucial parts of the season. Right. I do think that defense is going to continue to be solid, but what it really comes down to is what a full season of Deshaun Watson looks like and how that team is able to overcome one of the weaker offensive line units in the NFL. Now, moving on to our third AFC South team, we have the Tennessee Titans. The Titans won a wild card playoff game last season, and this season they made some pretty big changes. They have a new head coach, Mike Vrabel. They also had some big free agent signings like Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler. I really like the signing of Lewis. I think he is a very talented running back, and I think he's going to be a great complement to Derrick Henry's skill set. They also paid Malcolm Butler top 10 cornerback money, so it's still to be determined if he warrants that 
price tag that he put up this offseason, but he does complete a very strong cornerback trio with Logan Ryan and 2017 first-round draft pick Adoree Jackson. I think my favorite part of the Tennessee Titans this season is their offensive line. Their line has been almost identical over the last three seasons. We know that continuity in the NFL, especially at the offensive line position, is huge for a team's offensive success. So I think the Titans are lining themselves up nicely there. And I'm also expecting a bit of a return to the norm for quarterback Marcus Mariota, who had a very down year last season. He threw just 13 touchdowns to 15 interceptions, whereas in 2016, he threw 26 touchdowns to 9 interceptions. So I definitely think those are going to meet in the middle quite a bit there. I think he's going to have a much better season. I don't know if they're ready to take that step forward, but they do have some nice pieces on that offense with that run game, as I mentioned before. Hopefully, Corey Davis takes a nice step forward. They have Taewon Taylor, who I like as a bit of a dark horse wide receiver, having a more prominent role than expected. And of course, Delaney Walker is going to continue to be a consistent safety net for Marcus Mariota. Yeah, they definitely have a couple of pieces in place, things that I, I'm actually just personally a fan of. I'm a big fan of Derrick Henry. You're well, well aware of that. I think that he's going to be a premier back in the NFL. I like Delaney Walker, and I also like the backup, John, John U. Smith. I like what they did with their offensive line. They have a, an amazing offensive line, top, top 10, if not a top 5 unit in the NFL. And... Their defense is definitely, in my opinion, coming together. I think their secondary with, with Kevin Byard, Adoree Jackson, Malcolm Butler, and Logan Ryan, I think that is a solid defensive back group that you can really, you know, you have you have a good balance there. And as long as your front seven can be productive, which they have a, a decent front seven, they have had pretty good players in their front seven for a while now. If those guys can pretty much hold up their end of the deal, that unit can definitely improve. The only problem is they do, in my opinion, have the roughest stretch of any team in the division. In week two, they're against the Texans. You have the Jaguars. You have the Eagles. Now, you do get a one-week lull with the Bills. I thought you were going to say the Colts for a reason. I was about to lose it. <laughs> one-week lull against the Bills. But then you take take on the Ravens, the Chargers, the Cowboys, and the Patriots. You're talking about seven out of eight games in that stretch that just don't, in my opinion, seem very winnable with what they have going on and what they're up against. The Ravens are the one team that I think you can really look for them to try to steal a game there because they're not astronomically better. But the Chargers, I believe, are going to be a top team in the NFL. Cowboys, top team in the NFL. Patriots, top team in the NFL. Eagles, defending Super Bowl champs. Jaguars dominate the division. So that's really going to be difficult. It's going to be tough to uh, weather the storm, and so to speak, with that stretch. Yeah, I think we both have the opinion that the Tennessee Titans are definitely moving in the right direction. They have a lot of solid pieces in place. I just don't think this is the year that they're able to really put it all together and, and get the most out of what they have. But they are moving in the right direction. But that being said, we'll move on to the fourth and final team in the division, AFC South. And that will be the Indianapolis Colts. I'll let Mike set this one off definitely because this is his team. And then I'll tell him about how he's wrong and they're going to have a terrible season. As you guys know, I am a Colts fan. And I think they're actually one of the more difficult teams to predict going into 2018 if I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible. I think that if they have 
Andrew Luck, they are going to be competitive. I think he is that good of a quarterback, and I will stand by that. However, I think it's also hard to project how bad the team could be if Andrew Luck is unable to stay healthy. If he does happen to suffer another setback, that's going to be extremely detrimental for this team. However, I like a lot of the moves that they made this offseason. Their first-round pick this year, Quentin Nelson, at left guard. He is going to shore up that offensive line with last year's first-round pick, Ryan Kelly, playing at center. And they also drafted in the second round this year, Braden Smith, who will be playing right guard, currently on the depth chart behind Matt Slauson. But I do think that depth is something that you love to see on the interior of your offensive line, something that's going to greatly benefit the team, keep Andrew Luck on his feet, something that us Colts fans have been hoping for for years. They still have T.Y. Hill, and we've seen what he's been able to do when Andrew Luck was healthy. Marlon Mack has been dealing with some injuries, but they drafted one of my favorite dark horse running backs this year, Jordan Wilkins, who I think is a true three-down back. I think he's being extremely underrated. I think he has a great three-down skill set. We saw it in college playing in the SEC against top competition. They also have two solid tight ends, one being Jack Doyle, who is a solid pass catcher, but he also plays great in line. Then they have Eric Ebron, who has been disappointing for the Detroit Lions since he came into the NFL, but I think he is extremely athletic, somebody that Andrew Luck is going to be able to take advantage of. And I think that defense is being slightly underrated based off of what we saw last year. I'm not trying to say that the Colts have one of the better defenses in the league. I know that they don't, but they have their first round draft pick from last season, Malik Hooker, who was leading the league in interceptions before he went down. They drafted Kamoko Torre from Rutgers, who is an extremely athletic defensive end that a lot of analysts had graded from a talent standpoint as one of the top defensive ends in the draft. His issue throughout college was that he was unable to stay healthy. Of course, that's going to continue to be a concern in the NFL, but I like to see the Colts adding young talent to a defense that has been lacking for so many years. Yeah, the Colts are honestly, like you said, they're hard to predict this year because Andrew Luck has been out of football for two years and really we don't know okay really now we know he's going to be back it's just in what capacity is he going to be back if he is the Andrew Luck of old and he hasn't lost a step then great the team is going to be way better than either you or I or anybody is expecting but the problem is getting him back doesn't solidify with how long he's been out that you're going to get the same player. Exactly. And if he is a shell of himself or just not full go, not real, not really at full capacity, then you're not going to be nearly as successful. What also worries me is that Jacoby Brissett wasn't bad last year, in my opinion. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. So I didn't think that that was a really a problem. Now, they have a good offensive line. They have a premier top-tier wide receiver in T.Y. Hilton. They're missing a run game, but as a team, they typically run two tight end sets. They have two good tight ends, and that should also be an advantage in, in blocking schemes as well. But the real worry is the defense for me. Besides Malik Hooker, there's not much else to be really too excited about, and that's what worries me. So, yeah, I like the offense, but the defense has me worried. I also have them as a little step below where everybody else is in the division. I have their record at 7-9 and nine when I look at it, just being realistic. But that being said, the one positive that I will say is that if you do get Andrew Luck back, it changes significantly the entire team, not just the offense. It improves the defense. 
because when the defense is well rested rather than being on the field for so many snaps because they can't hold time of possessions. When the defense always has their back up against the wall and not have good field position because their team can't score or they can't move the ball, then they're constantly giving up even points, giving up a field goal, which is detrimental, is a win for them. So Andrew Luck could really impact the entire team and it could be that much better. I just don't know if we're going to get the same Andrew Luck. That's what's exciting to see. If you do get it, it's a whole nother team to talk about. You could really have talked about the Colts in two different ways. You know what I mean? You really could have talked about them with or without Andrew Luck. Right, and as I said with the Titans, I think the Colts are moving in the right direction. They have a lot of solid pieces on their team, but I unfortunately don't think this is the year that they are able to put it all together. As a Colts fan, however, I love what Chris Ballard is doing there. I love where the team is heading. I do see a promising future for the team. But in this division, which, as we've been mentioning, is extremely competitive, this probably won't be the year that they put it all together. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. When it comes down to it, you never know. There's always teams that go from, you know, losing records, 8-8 eight and eight records, up to the Rams. playoffs. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so it's, it's not like it hasn't been done before. There's always a surprise team almost every single year. Are you saying that the Colts are this year's Rams? I'm not. Stop I, putting or this year's Jacksonville mouth. Jaguars. Stop putting words in my mouth. Oh my that's, god, that's two weeks in a row, and you did it twice this week. What the hell is wrong with you? I love it. I'm getting a T-shirt made. Well, guys, that's all that we have for our AFC South divisional breakdown. It's also all we have for you today. Thanks for joining us, guys. Remember, the number one thing we want to pre- remind you guys about is the fantasy football cheat sheet that you can find on our website it's a downloadable pdf so you can keep it right on your phone or print it out and bring it to a draft and be prepared you don't want to be the guy who shows up not ready holding the draft up taking every last second to make his pick you can go right down the row cross off the guys and go with the top guy available at the position that you want to draft at that round and you can really pretty much guarantee yourself a competitor. We can't help you in the waiver wire with the draft cheat sheet. You'll have to stay tuned and listen to the podcast and keep an eye on the website for that. But the cheat sheet itself will help you nail the draft. So at least you'll be in competition when the middle of the season rolls around. Exactly. I think we all know that you don't win your fantasy league at the draft. However, What does occur at the draft is you can position yourself to build the depth, take the value, and build a quality lineup that will then allow you to make the waiver wire moves throughout the season that will lead you to the playoffs and hopefully that championship. So as Dan was saying, make sure you head over to footballmdpodcast.com, look at our positional rankings, look at our top 200 rankings, download our fantasy cheat sheet for 2018. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FootballMDPod. We're going to continue releasing tons of content. We have tons of articles coming out every week. So make sure you guys are staying up to date with all of that. We've been priming you for the fantasy football season, and we're going to continue to keep you guys locked and loaded for the NFL regular season. And of course, as always, thank you guys for continuing to listen and support the show. It really does mean a lot to us. We put a ton of work into this. So thank you guys again and have a great week. See you guys next Wednesday. Thanks, guys.